with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good morning, everyone. Good evening. Whoa, the beginning again. That was it. everyone good morning good afternoon welcome to ghost chronicles wherever you are i am ron colick your host the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown the unexplained and the unbelievable new england zone van helsing with me all the way from maine god's country are the founding members of the paranormal five missy and richie how you doing ron hey how you how you doing guys we're doing great, thank you. So tell me a little bit about the Paranormal Five. Is it a ghost hunting family? It is actually. Um, so it's made up of Richie and myself um, and our three kids um, <laughs> that age in the range from 12 to almost eight. Oh, wow. So I was uh, just prior to the show, I do Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Parsons from the UK. And he was telling me that uh, he was actually trying to get into the world's record for the youngest ghost hunter, which was his son, Ethan. He took him in an investigation and uh, uh, put a camera on him and stuck him in a, in a haunted room <laughs> as ghost bait. So uh, anyways, Cosmopolitan actually uh, UK actually did an article on it, and his daughter, uh, we used to go ghost hunting when he was young. So, uh, I, I guess you're not the only one, but uh, it's certainly unusual because you know a lot of people don't think that children should ghost hunt. Yeah, it's um, we we've kind of heard that at different you know at different stages. You know, people that are just meeting us for the first time, they. They kind of, you know, raise their eyebrows when they hear that, um, you know, that we bring our kids. But, you know, I think once we get a chance to kind of sit down and explain to them, you know, how we operate and and to what level we have our kids involved with us and, you know, how a lot of our focus really is on the history of these locations. It's on, you know, the respect for both the, the living and the past. Um, and it's just kind of giving them another... Um, uh, just a, just another explanation to what you know as kids they're already wondering about they're already questioning and it kind of gives them a, a different perspective of it and uh, we also don't ever put our kids or, or push them you know anything that they're not comfortable with so we really work within their parameters when they're with us um, and and just try to really make it an enjoyable experience for them as well as us. So I'm going to ask you, each of you, uh, one by one, is is how, how did you get involved in the, the paranormal? So I'll start with you, Missy, since ladies first. All right. Well, thank you. Um, the paranormal has kind of always been my normal. I grew up just very fascinated with it. Um, I was a child. I was a baby of the 80s. So I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries, Sightings. 
Um, and it just, just always just fascinated me. And then once I got into elementary school and stuff, and I started checking books out of the library about, you know, local ghost stories and beyond. Um, and it actually, like with my passion and fascination with it, it actually got my parents interested in it. So really, Yes, yes, very much so. So we actually used to plan um, family trips around going down to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and doing paranormal investigations down there, going on haunted, like doing the haunted tours. Um, So it was definitely became like a family oriented thing. Um, And yeah, it's just like I said, it's always kind of been my normal. Um, So yeah, it's kind of always just been a big part of my life. So Richie, how did you get involved? Or did she just drag you into it? <laughs> actually, a little bit of that. My my story is far far less interesting. I um, I actually I, I come from a my, you know my family. Uh, they weren't necessarily deniers, but it wasn't ever a topic of conversation in my household. Um, there was always an explanation if something made a noise at night or if there was a, a shadow lurking. You know, it was always just an imagination. It was always just something you watched on television. But um, you know, for me, I think as a kid. Uh, I was more just really infatuated with the afterlife in the sense of I I had a hard time believing or I had a hard time rationalizing that we're here one day and then we're gone the next. That just really didn't make sense to me. Um, Spent way too many nights lying awake wondering what happens afterwards, but didn't really know where to kind of focus those questions. And so, you know, just kind of put them away. You know, again, it wasn't talked about in our household much. And, um, and and I guess really kind of like you said, once, once Missy and I met and, um, you know, I kind of learned about her interest, she really showed me and that there, there were, there was a whole network of people that, that had these questions that had these curiosities and, uh, that there's actually people that go out and try to seek answers for this kind of stuff. Um, so it kind of allowed me to revisit my childhood, uh, you know, ideas of, of what, the afterlife was all about and uh, kind of channel it more into this group and uh, learn about places and history and, and just really the enjoyment of going out and kind of putting yourself in different situations to see what you can come up with. And so, yeah, for me, it was more so a later in life, but it started out with just a general curiosity of, of the afterlife and and, and how it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, uh, I, I assume that you weren't brought up in a religious house no neither, neither one, of us one were. Of, yeah yeah see yeah that's that that uh if you're brought up in a religious home then a lot of those questions are uh answered by your religion so you don't have those questions uh in your mind you, you know you you if, if you have faith that's what you believe in i mean uh you know i had no interest in the paranormal at all uh you know the, my first experience was was a uh, ghost tour they took in uh, historic Williamsburg because I love history, and uh, I, it was a camp. Well, I think it was a blast. I I really enjoyed it, and and I recommend ghost tours to anybody who's interested in history and and interested in, in a very good time because you know they they are a, a nice night out. But uh, you know, it wasn't until I had a personal experience that I ended up doing this, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I can see it. So when you you met each other and eventually you got, uh, I assume you're married, right? Yes. Yeah, I can't tell anymore. You know, I'm a school. <laughs> I'm 14 years. Okay, there you go. 
So uh, we were 51, so that should give you an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so what was the discussion about bringing your kids in? That's, that's the curious part. I think we kind of just, it's always just been like I was saying earlier, it's always just been a huge part of my life. So, you know, our kids have just kind of always been around the topic, um, the discussions, you know, um, it was something that we never really hid from them. It was just something that was just always there. So I don't think that we ever had a conversation about like, oh, are we going to kind of keep this on the download until they get a little bit older, but you know, kids are, kids are naturally curious. And, um, we just, you know, we didn't want to hide our, our, our hobbies from our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, when we kind of look at it now is it's something that we're able to do as a family, as a, like a hobby to something to get together and do as a family. So, which which is great by the way. I always kind of, I always tell people that, you know, especially nowadays uh, with just every influence under the sun, when it comes to your kids, it's hard to, it can be hard to find things to, to bond with your kids over and, you know, and, and and you can either find things they're interested in or vice versa. And again, like Missy said, you know, this is kind of something we just live our home, our, our, our decor, um, everything, you know, it's spooky 365. Um, (laughs) And so, and our kids just took an interest to it, whether it was, horror movies or Halloween decorations or really getting into the car, you know, so the whole just spooky side of things and then throw in the ability to go out and and do these investigations. And and once we saw that they kind of showed interest, it was something that we could really, like Missy said, as a family kind of bond over and and have a lot of those, you know, those are our family vacations. Those are, those are the things that we get to go out and do together. Um, And and, and they're into it. So it's something that we could, it was like an automatic kind of no brainer as far as um, something we could all connect on. Right. So what was, uh, who who was the the first uh, youngin to get involved and what was their first experience as far as uh, an investigation or, or whatever? I would probably have to say our oldest, our daughter, um, her name's Dylan. Um, She um, has come to, we do a lot of, um, public investigations up here in Maine, and they are all fundraising investigations that give back to the location that we're investigating. And our biggest one um, is Parsonsfield Seminary. And so, uh, yep, so she would come to a lot of our investigations and um, she's had a lot of different things. Um, She's heard, obviously, EVPs, we've heard knocking, we've heard whistling. Um, probably one of our biggest experience that we all got to experience together as a family is when we were down in Gettysburg, um, one time and, um, we were at Devil's Den and across the way is, um, a place called the Slaughter Pen, obviously given the name of what happened there. Um, so we were, um, kind of walking around the rocks, heading back up to our car and a couple stopped us and said, oh, what are you guys here for? And my daughter, she's like looking for ghosts, you know, <laughs> kind of excited about it. Mm-hmm. And so the couple were just like, well, look across the field. And so we looked across the field and there was a bluish grayish figure that was doing a formate a, a loop of a formation that I, you would probably see a Civil War soldier doing. 
And so we were just kind of all like jaw dropped looking at this. And so it disappears before our eyes. And I turn and I ask the couple, I'm just like, you know, what asking them, like, you know, how long has this been going on for? Did you guys go over there? And at the time, mind you, like it, it was dusk. There was, it was just pretty much us and the, this other couple there at all, um, and they're just like telling about how that it's been doing it for a while. They actually went over to the field to investigate and they couldn't see anything. And it wasn't there, it wasn't doing it when they were over there. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's probably one of our craziest experiences as a family that we were all able to, you know. Yeah, enjoy. Missy usually points out there too that um, it, was, it was a really cool experience because obviously, you know, I mean, it's a ghost hunter's dream to see a, a full bodied apparition, you know, and then to experience it with your kids. She kind of always says like, you know, you didn't know where to look like, do you focus on the apparition? Or do you focus on the fact that your kids are seeing they're having their first experience and you see the look on their faces, and then you see what we're looking at. And, uh, and the fact that they were just so intrigued, and it didn't, it didn't spook them, you know, they just they wanted to see more, they wanted explanations, like the, you can just see the curiosity and uh, again it just kind of solidified that they were these guys were into it yeah and we it would disappear and then it would come back you know maybe a few moments later so we were just like glued to watching this for like what seemed like forever like mm -hmm. just watching this figure on repeat um so it was quite interesting so uh you mentioned the parsonage and uh you know i've heard quite a bit about it i've seen probably uh some others uh from it i think roxy even was there at one time roxy's worker mm -hmm. uh, who's a good friend of mine so um how did how did you get involved with them um so i volunteered um with parsons field seminary um and i became extremely close with the president um over there um, she became a, she is a very good friend of mine. And I just kind of bounced the idea off of her just saying, you know, how would you feel about us doing a paranormal investigation here? Um, and to, and all the money that we raise comes right back to you guys. And she's just like, sure, why not? And so we tried it. Um, we tried it, I think it was in 2020. Because I remember it was like, it was low numbers and, you know, we were just trying to be COVID safe at the time. Oh, yeah. uh, and, but it was quite successful. And we yeah. ended up having, we started doing it twice a year and it it was huge. It's very popular. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to do it this year because they um, had a lot of damage due to some flooding. Um, oh. So that kind of got put on halt but yeah it just it's uh it's just you know it, it's such an amazing place up there i i always try to tell people that haven't been there when you're driving out to parsons field seminary it's just you know it, it kind of corny but to me it always feels like you're driving like back in time <laughs> like it's just got this like, really country setting um and it just you know you've got these buildings that are just uh, the, the, these old buildings, this, and it's just, it's got this whole vibe involved when you go back there and the building is so inviting. Um, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a wonderful occasion. If anyone who hasn't seen it, I, I strongly recommend getting there. I know, I know they do other events throughout the year. 
um, you know, or, or, or if you're able to get on there on an investigation, but it's just, it's such a beautiful building and the people that run it are so passionate about and it. And that's the thing, the people that run it, they're just a bunch of volunteers and yeah. it's owned by the friends of Parsem. So it's just mm-hmm. people that had a connection to it, um, or that just love the building. And one thing that's just really crazy about Parsons Field Seminary is that it's so active, but there was no deaths at the building Mm. um it's just it's just a lot of people that are still remaining there in life and i can i mean in death excuse me and i can see why it's a beautiful building with such epic history here in maine so you know i've always had a, a theory about that uh you know when once you open up a location to like uh you know basically as a paranormal uh amusement park basically uh you know i mean i i noticed that the houghton mansion we did the the first investigation there and then we went back several times over the years and it seemed to change through the years and i always wondered that you know if you open it up to uh you know a bunch of people coming in doing that thing do they bring their own spirits with them? Do they attract spirits that normally wouldn't be there? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, I I definitely agree. I agree. I definitely feel like the haunts can definitely change over time. Um, I just feel like they become these locations kind of like a lighthouse to maybe spirits from around the area or even things that kind of just kind of maybe came along with somebody and wanted to stay at this location because, Hey, I'm kind of getting attention here. You know, I'm mm-hmm. getting, I'm getting somebody that wants to hear me or wants to hear my story. And I, I totally believe that locations can kind of definitely change. Yeah. This is, it, this is kind of a question that's come up a lot in, 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 you know, different interviews and stuff we've done. And, and I, I feel very similar And you know, I, I always kind of use like the Lizzie Borden house as an example where, Oh yeah. Will go there for a very specific purpose, but you have so many people that go there with so many stories and so much of their own energy that they bring in there, diverse energy, all different types. And, you know, these places just become like an energy dump where people can come in, they bring stuff. And like Missy said, it's, it becomes like this beacon almost for, you know, you know, if, if your goal in the afterlife is to get noticed or to get attention and, and you have this location that all these people are going to seeking that out. Um, you know, I, I always say that, you know, you, you go to a place like the Lizzie Borden house and you might encounter, you know, 20 other energies or spirits and they were just brought there by other other investigators or other guests. So uh, I definitely can see how energies would change over time. And, um, you know, when they when they sit stagnant for a while, I know, like, obviously, during like the COVID issues, you know, a lot of these places kind of stayed quiet and stagnant for a while and then they reopened. So it had a whole different energy at that point. So. Um, definitely buy into the, you know, the the concept of these places shifting in their energies and and changing the feels of these locations. Yeah, I, I've noticed even like when we've done a, an investigation in a, in a place for a first time that's, you know, it's probably never been done before. Uh, we'll still have, you'll still have a spirit occasionally come in. I call them street ghosts. And, and basically they're just uh, like mops to a frame there. They realize someone's trying to connect with the the other side and they, they want to be heard or they're just curious and so they they pop in uh so i mean they're curious like everyone else uh, i believe but anyways but that's that's just my Definitely. opinion 
I think we've even, you know, we even had a, um, we, we don't do it as often, you know, as us as Paranormal Five, but we also belong to a group, a uh, Maine Paranormal Society, which is a, a main uh, branch of the TAPS team. Um, and, and on some of our private investigations, one in particular, um, you know, we kind of had the same theory about individuals and how some people can even become those beacons, those lighthouses. You know, this, this one case in particular, this woman was such a, a genuinely amazingly good person with a heart that was just as massive as you can imagine and and what she was going through and what she dealt with it, it was very apparent that she was just a a beacon for 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 spirits for souls whatever you want to call them to come and feel taken care of and to feel uh you know comfort in, in this woman um so I, I think people can have that same effect as places can have yeah it's it's intriguing so how do uh, is? Let me ask you this: Is anyone in your family a medium? Um, or sensitive. We, um, I definitely believe that our middle son has some definite sensitivities. Um, we don't really, we really haven't opened up that can of worms with him. Um, but like you can definitely feel when he's in a location. We actually just investigated a look, um, the Gettysburg Orphanage. Um, back at the beginning of July um, and uh, how I, and I also, I'm, I'm sensitive, but I really don't kind of. She is as well. She just won't admit it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and so how like I was kind of feeling and then hearing him just kind of just come out and say like, I don't like this corner or like, I don't like something's making me feel yeah. like this. And I'm just like, I yeah. am feeling the exact same way, buddy. <laughs> we've uh, we we found with with our middle son Silas that he's very um, e even take the paranormal side out of it. He's very in tune with people. Uh, he reads emotions very well. Um, you know, he really picks up on on people that are being subtle and whether they're having a hard time, whether they're they're struggling through something. He's generally the first one to pick up on it, and and you can really see him kind of dive and, and let himself into that and and try to fix those scenarios as well. Um, so I think, you know, if we were to really kind of uh, help guide him, if he if he chose, you know, to go that direction, that he he would definitely be. Uh, would definitely be a sensitive, you know, empathic, you know, medium, you know, whichever term you want to label it. Um, but that's, he's got that personality for sure. So how do you conduct like a, a private investigation? Um, well, we only do our private investigations through, um, like Richie was saying, through Maine Paranormal Society. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, but and so that's it. Usually goes through our caseworker, um, our case manager, and stuff like that, and yeah. she kind of. Mm -hmm is she's the boss in that aspect when it comes to the cases and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Paranormal five for us really started, um, you know, we had, we had moved to a new location um, up here where we're at now up in Springvale. And, you know, we really didn't know a lot of people in the area. So, um, you know, what we did know is that we had this infatuation for, for paranormal and we had done our own stuff, our own investigation. Our family was already kind of into it, but what we really tried to do was to bring a lot of other people and bring a lot of attention and awareness in the area we were in. We we're actually just kind of, kind of find, like-minded people that wanted to come. And, and we, we started with doing some open groups, um, open meetings where people would just come and be able to tell their stories and kind of feel like they were in a, a safe environment to express themselves. And, um, and that kind of evolved into, 
doing a lot of our our public investigations where you know we would we we would find interest in these locations and you know we would want to check them out and also help these locations so we started doing a lot of um, again just completely nonprofit. All, all money proceeds go to these events and and we would book these so that you know the people like us who were just interested in the paranormal would have an outlet to go because as we all know some of these places can be a little pricey than when you're trying to get into them so we would try to run these events to make them available for your everyday investigator and also give back to the community that we were living in right and then we also um teach classes to um paranormal classes yep. here in the local adult eds um so and we uh, also what, what what topics um we do a paranormal 101 where we talk about like the history of paranormal um we talk about different tools and equipments different types of hauntings um and then we also do a um one that's called wicked haunted which we just kind of talk about haunted locations here in maine um places that we've been most a lot of them are places that we've investigated where we can actually bring evidence and show the class like what we have caught there um either through evps or um video um stuff so we also uh, earlier this year and something that we really want to kind of to do more because it really aligns with what we do is we started doing more um family oriented classes where we actually held the class for um you know families to bring their children um and kind of oh, cool. brought it down to that level we have our kids there as well and then we were actually able to do uh, a, a class at a location that we then got to do investigating. So the kids got a chance to try out some of the tools yeah, and be able and to put to, the tools in their hands. Yeah. And, and, and to really to get a grasp on it. So it was, again, it was cool because that's one thing we did find out, you know, it, it's like the first, like I said, it's the first question we get like, wow, you guys let your kids do this stuff. And then you find that there's other families that kind of wanted to do it. But again, it's, it's hard just to go out and, you know, so I'm going to have to interrupt you right now because the paranormal gods are telling me we have to take a break. Oh, uh, so anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation right here on TojiNet and wherever else you get your podcasts. I am Ron Kolick. We are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. Our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, become a member for $3 a month. And of course, uh, we are brought to you by Spirit Quest, uh, tell this fall, check it out at indieghostproject.com and you get all the information there. We'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box. 
Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Rustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And we are back to the tunes of Van Helsing's theme song. I am Ron Kolick, and our special guest today are Missy and Richie of the Paranormal Five. So before the break, you were talking a little bit about some of the evidence you collected. So what type of evidence have you collected? Can you give us some examples? Um, so we've caught some, well, not some, a lot of audio EVPs. Um, and we've also caught in um, some, um, what is, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank video, excuse me. Um, not a ton of video. Um, we try to kind of be more in the moment when we're investigating, um, but we'll usually try to, you know, like hop on live or do like a quick video spurt, like on our phone and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I, I, we, we really subscribe a lot to, you know, the, the, the best experience you're going to have is the personal experience. And although it's, it's awesome, I, I'm more of the, I really love the tech side of things. I love the tools. I love utilizing them. Um, but I, I also, I, I, I'm more of a, I'm more of what you call like a skeptical believer in the sense that I, I need a lot, <laughs> you know, I, I try not to buy into just one specific tool or, or one piece of activity, but yet if you can combine a personal experience with activity on a REM pod followed by some K2 hits and, and an audio recording, well, that leads a lot more kind of, um, you know, uh, just gives a lot more to the experience than just having one of those things by themselves. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like Missy said, we've had a lot, you know, we use a variety of different styles of equipment and we've had experience with our equipment. Um, and then a lot of just personal sensations as well, personal feelings. Um, you know, we always say at all of our get-ups and all of our, our, our gatherings and all of our events, that, you know, you yourself are your best paranormal tool. Um, so really just be in tune with yourself and uh, your intuition and, and uh, you know, don't be afraid to, to call out when you, when you feel something or see something or hear something. So, um, yeah, we, we've had our good sh our fair share of experiences for sure. Yeah, the, uh, you know, that's, the thing, I mean, the, the paranormal or ghosts, I guess we're going to be separated from all the other paranormal uh, mm -hmm. ghosts and hauntings uh, have been reported, you know, through the centuries, but they're all been personal experiences. And I think that's uh, the key to it. I think, uh, 
it really is a personal experience. Uh, you go to even like even some of these paranormal playgrounds like Eastern State Penitentiary or or uh, Lizzie Borden House, and one or two people have a an experience in a room, and somebody who's in the same room won't have anything or won't notice anything or won't see anything. So I think it's it's really key to uh, uh, the investigation that you know the the personal experience is, is really what you're investigating, and that's what you should be looking for. I remember I did a uh, investigation at Wood Island Lighthouse and Bitterfoot Pool. Uh, oh God, that was years ago. But anyways, the Boston Globe went with us, and they wrote a nice article. But the coolest part is they did a uh, cartoon too as well and it basically it was their reporter interviewing me in front of the lighthouse and, and out of the lighthouse of course there's all these ghosts popping out of it and he says uh to me he says uh, ron Kolick is a ghost hunter for drake did you get anything i says well you know i read my meter and i got a little bit of uh activity and uh, but that's about it so it the whole the whole point of that article, which I really love it, and brings me back to the thing is sometimes we get too tied up into the equipment where we, you know, all these ghosts are flying behind me and I'm not looking at them because I'm looking at a stupid meter. Yeah. So yeah. I, th I think that it, that's you hit that right on the button. But I do want to talk to you about the equipment. What type of equipment do you use? We have a variety of voice recorders. We have K2s. We've got REM pods. Um, We've got a couple other different, like we've got like a boo bear um, for like the EMF, um, but that and a couple different other types of EMF detectors, yeah. um, but that's typically about it. Um, we, we try to kind of, you know, it, it depends on the circumstance. So for instance, like Missy said, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a month or so ago now, we had a chance to investigate the orphanage um, down in, in Gettysburg. And so you know, our idea is there, okay, so so the claims are there is you have a lot of child spirits. Well, you know, sure, it's good to bring your 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 you know your your tools and your REM pods and everything, but what's also great is how about a balloon? How about some cards? How about some toy cars or how about a light up ball? Things that would candy, you know candy, any... right. Things that would really appeal to what it is that you're looking for. Um so like a so trigger object. Trigger yeah. objects, exactly. Yeah. So we, we try to do a lot of those. I mean our go-to's like Missy said um, you know, voice recorders, EMF detectors, you know, those are, are, are kind of our main squeezes, so to speak. Um, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth. We've done some stuff with spirit boxes and whatnot. And then it's, you know, and, and I, I have nothing against it for all the, the teams and the groups like to use it. It's not really our cup of tea. Um, you know, we try to stick to as, as, as basics as we can and then mix those in again with the personal experiences and try to inviting things in with trigger objects. Um, so we kind of try to gauge what we're using towards where we are and, and what the, you know, potential activity is there um, as, as best we can. You know, you, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, like, if they go to investigate, uh, say, a, a, a private home uh, or, or even a restaurant, whatever, and the certain paranormal activity occurs, in other words, uh, they see something or, or something uh, moves or there are sounds on it. You know, we get told, you know, tied up so much in the rim pods and the, the boo beers and, and those other things. We forget the basic tools, which are the recorders, uh, the video and audio recorders, which can verify 
the information, uh, the experience itself. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we just, we try to use, you know, other stuff that really is not re being reported, but we just take it to a different level than what's really being reported. So yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and I, I think that, um, well, the other thing that's great about the, you know, good and bad about these tools is, you know, as we all know, as most people should know that these tools can give a lot of false readings. I mean, if you have an EMF detector going off, I mean, have you checked to see what the causes are? Is there a phone on? Is there an electrical wire? Is there a, a maintenance piece of equipment, something that's or getting off? is it a off? bad battery right. too? Is it a bad you. battery? You know, I, I, you know, you see all the time where people are like having this great REM pod activity. And if you know your REM pod, you know that it's not activity. It's just trying to tell you that the battery is dying. So, I mean, these, these tools are great, in our opinion, to try to validate your personal experiences. I think on, on their own, standalone, like they're interesting and they're grateful when we do our public events because, you know, obviously most people, when they sign up and they pay to go to a public event, they just, most of these people are coming from a background of television. You know, they're watching your ghost hunters. They're watching your kindred spirits. They're watching these shows where it's, you know, 45 minutes of nonstop activity. And they think that that's what Investigating is, but in reality, it's it's you might sit in a room for six hours and hear one cough or one sneeze. You know, you might hear one little noise or nothing noise at and, all, or nothing at all, and that's perfectly fine. So, you know, any any time you can get, you know, you can utilize these tools to 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 validate or to back up your personal experiences. You know, I think that that's where that's where they really come into play. Yeah, a lot of these tools, especially the EMF uh, based products, is we really don't know enough about them that uh, the people using them don't know enough about them they don't even know what the senses are they don't know where they're reading in fact uh they they get high readings but do you know where they're coming from can you actually measure the frequency so you i mean there are there are books that have every frequency in in the country so that you know if you're picking up a radio station you know you're picking up a uh, a uh, uh, taxi cab or a, a million different things. They're all they're all listed, so th those are recorded. And, and if you have are on those frequency, you know that's what you're getting. But and they and they travel for quite a while. It's just say, oh, well, I'm in the house and there's no wire and there's no electricity. You can still pick up EMF readings even though you're in a house with with no readings. So some of those uh, cheaper pieces of equipment uh and, and we say cheaper but they're getting big bucks from now <laughs> for some, for some ridiculous reason yeah. i mean when i first started doing i used the uh cell sensor which was you know i mean i i just didn't even know i was going to be doing this and i uh, that was the first emf feeder that i i can spend a few bucks on this like there's 20 bucks or yeah. whatever it was 15 i think it was but then not you know not they anymore. just yeah, they just went crazy. You know, they you know they they changed the case. They made it a ghost meter, and now it talks to ancient ghosts and recent ghosts. And oh yeah, well you know, once I, you put I mean, that name ghost on it, then you know that that triples yeah. the price right there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, so what's your thoughts on uh, uh, some of the the methods used by the spiritualists, like uh, Ouija board, table tipping, dowsing? Yeah. You know, I I think that me and Richie always kind of have this kind of like idea. I'm just like more tools for your toolbox. Like, you know, we do have dowsing rods. We have pendulums. We own quite a few different types of Ouija boards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not 
and we've actually done table tipping quite a few times. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, why just kind of just focus in on just using just one tool and one method of investigating when there has been types of different forms of being able to communicate with spirits, ghosts for centuries, like, yeah. or decades. Um, so I, I love the whole metaphysical side of it. Um, you know, I appreciate it. It's something that I feel like I probably don't do as much as I used to. Um, but it, it's very, it's extremely fascinating. Um, dowsing and just, yeah, all of it. Ouija boards, like we aren't one thing that we are very with Ouija boards is that, you know, with all tools, actually, when it comes to investigating is that these are tools, not toys. And you need to respect your whatever type of tool that you're using to investigate. You need to respect it. Um, so we're very open to using any type of equipment. Um, yeah, I, I think. um Oh, like Missy said, yeah, and that's actually one of the things we really try to stress with the kids because I think that kind of resonates with them as far as you know, tools and not toys. And and I think, I think the most important thing, whether you're using your scientific tools, whether you're using your metaphysical tools, and, and what I would stress to anybody who is in the field or who wants to get into the field is just train with your tools. Uh, I mean, a, a mechanic knows his wrenches, a carpenter knows his saws. A, you know. Uh, you need to learn how these tools are going to work and not only how they work, but how they're going to work for you. You know, how does that pendulum work for you? What, what do those motions mean? How do those dowsing rods interact with what you're feeling and what your intuition is saying at the time? Um, you know, it's just, it's just being well-practiced. I, I always, I always chuckle because I feel like a go-to investigating tool is so many people go when they get to spirit box. Uh, I, and again, I'm not trying to knock it. I, I just, you know, I, I bring it up a lot, but, um, I find it funny because I feel like a spirit box is probably one of the most, you probably need the most hands-on experience with it and and to develop your technique to really understand how to filter out what sounds are are normal, what sounds are coming across radio stations versus like you really have to work with that. And I've always found it funny that that's a lot of people's go-to when I think it would take just so much time and, and, and experience needed to really master the use of something like a spirit box. And uh, I think the same thing goes for metaphysical tools too, is just knowing your tool and knowing how they work for you individually. Exactly. I mean, I mentioned all the different inst- uh, instruments and of course I do have them all by the way, because uh, that's something that I've always done. I'm intrigued by them. Like you guys are intrigued by Ouija boards. I am too. Mm-hmm. Most good ghost hunters are, <laughs> yeah. but uh, they have their collections, but uh, you know, if you look at some of these instruments you get, the, the specs on them are, are absolutely horrendous. So, you know, you get very little specs, if anything, and there's no, uh, there's, there's no calibration on them. Which you, other words, how do you calibrate them? They don't even tell you that yet. Or if you can calibrate them, most of them you can't. So eventually they're going to change over time. Uh, but you know, they're great things. I agree with you on public investigations. They, they work, uh, you know, they, they, they work great for what they are. Uh, and so, you know, I have no problem with, you know, people using them and for what they are. But, uh, you know, like I said, I have them also. Uh, the Ouija boards are interesting. Uh, a lot of places, I don't know if you run into this, uh, won't even allow them in, in 
if you go to an investigation or a certain location, they won't even allow them in. in. Uh, what's your thoughts on on that? I, uh, you know, this one's always funny because I feel like the Ouija board is such a controversial topic in the paranormal field. And, and so many people fall dramatically on one side or the other. For me personally, and, and you know, I think I speak for both of us when I say that a Ouija board is it's it's a tool like any other tool that you're utilizing. I mean, it's it when you sit in a room with a voice recorder, you are inviting spirit, you're inviting energy, you're inviting the unknown to come through and communicate with you no differently than you are with a Ouija board. Um, and, and again, I think if you just if you if you retreat these tools with respect, you understand what the capability of these things are. And and you you just go at it with a sense of you know of seriousness and and just and, and work within your limits whether you're using a Ouija board, a recorder, a dowsing rod. I mean, trust your intuition. When your body when when you're someone's telling you something's not right and it doesn't feel right, then close it out. Be done with it. it that's fine. No one's gonna give you crap about it. Like that's it, you're making a smart decision. And I just I, I guess for me, I just I loop them in with with the use of any tool where, you know, if you're if you're inviting something to come in and to make contact with you, whether it's verbally, physically, um, you know, uh, and anything like that, changing the atmosphere, you're you're inviting something in and you just need to make sure you're setting your boundaries. You need to make sure that you're comfortable with what you're asking and, and you're comfortable with yourself and what your limits are. Yeah. And when it comes to like locations, like I get it, like. I get it, but I don't like, I, I feel like it's mostly for the stigma behind the whole Ouija boards with them not allowing them into locations, which whatever, you know, I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to play by your rules and I understand, but I think a lot of it is just the stigma behind it. And it might also just be their belief system, like the locations belief systems, yeah. like where they're just like, nope, it's, it's not good. It's evil. You know, you're going to open up doorways, gateways, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so. I think right. a lot I mean, a lot of that has to do with Hollywood, no offense, but yeah, you know, sure. in the, the olden days when the Ouija boards first came out, they would go into the parlor and use them as a family trying to connect with grandma or whatever. Yeah, and and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't such a big deal, uh, but Hollywood made it like all these horrible things were going to happen to you. And uh, so that's where I think the majority of it came from yeah. and of course that got involved in a religion too and then that, that kicked in as well so yeah. between all that it's it, yeah they've got to stick i remember um i used to do this event uh called spectral evidence as part of the festival of dead in salem every year but i did it for 13 years and so it's probably about five years since i did it last and when i first did it, the first year i did it um i asked in front of the crowd, there's about 100 people there. And I would ask, you know, who thinks EV board, the Ouija board is evil? And it, I'd say probably about 85% of the audience put up their hands. And then, of course, I went, went behind the screen and came out with my little Bobby Ouija board. And, you know, how can this be? But anyway, uh, over the years, though, over the 13 years, uh, I noticed that every do it every year, and I noticed that it got less and less and less till probably the last year I did it was it was less than fifty percent of the people. I would say probably uh, only about twenty five percent of the people that really thought they were evil at that time. It's so, funny you mentioned. Uh, it's funny you mentioned your Barbie Ouija board because uh, there's there's actually one down in at the museum in Salem. The, yeah. Uh, 
the, the talking about what is the it the board, society um, um yeah. you know, Salem, they have that barbie ouija board down there so it's funny you mentioned that i have that <laughs> yeah yeah a little pink one it even has nice oh, little yeah. uh, little cards that uh tell you you can ask questions to ask oh it gives uh, you examples that's <laughs> <laughs> funny it's funny. And, no, I, and, oh sorry go ahead. Go ahead. oh good oh i was just gonna say i i think you know the those the spirit board or, or those those kind of interactions i mean they're 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 i mean i i get it they're very interesting i mean i, I kind of you know, you had mentioned like table tipping, you know, and um, we had had uh, we had the opportunity uh, myself once. My wife's been down there twice, and to go down to the Oliver House down in Middleborough, Mass. And um, oh yeah, you know, we had an opportunity down there, and I had I had never done up to that point a table tipping session, and and you know we sat around and and it was really interesting. I mean, I don't I don't know, you know, I know that I don't have a ton of explanation for what took place at that event. Um, I know that it was very unique. It was something I never experienced before. Um, you know, it, you, you got four different people that were kind of all in the same environment and experiencing it. So, you know, who was influencing what, I'm not sure, but it's, um, you know, they're interesting. So I can see, I can see where people would look at things like that and just, you know, you know, maybe just not have an understanding, like you said, mix, mix Hollywood into the fact, you know, into the, into the mix. And, you know, then all of a sudden you get a, a board that's throwing demons at you every chance it gets, but it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're interesting, but uh, they're, again, to, to us to kind of bring it back, they're just, it, it's another tool in the toolbox. Yep. The, uh, I was going to say the uh, Oliver House, what you use it in the uh, little candle tables, the three legged candle tables for your table tipping? I think, I think it was. Yeah. Yes, I think yeah, it might yeah, be one yeah. of those yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Those, um, you know, when I first started doing this, I, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think it, any of it had validity. But uh, if I was going to criticize something, I at least had to try to understand it. So I always took classes on everything, you know, Reiki or, or mm -hmm. table tipping or whatever. And uh, table tipping was one of the, the classes that I, I did take. Uh, and uh, so I took it at Circles of Wisdom, and then I went on an investigation, and then I said, said you know what, I, I learned this new thing, table tipping, so why don't we do it? So we, there was three of us in one of the rooms who was supposed to be haunted, and we had a little candle table, you know, the three-legged, and we put our hands on it. Yeah, I was moving around and all this stuff, and we, we had some experience this, whatever. But at the end of the night, uh, we decided to uh, try it on the upstairs table, which, because my wife and I were staying at the lighthouse, and there was a huge uh, table upstairs. So, okay, let's do it. So it was like two o'clock in the morning. We sat on this table. It was four inches thick, double pedestal. So it wasn't a, a, a leg table. It was a pedestal table. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was seven of us. Uh, only uh, I had done table tipping. So that was my third time. And the two other guys, uh, the director of the place, and another historian had done it just downstairs and that and the rest of them had and we put our hands on the table and for about 45 minutes that table which was four inches thick double pedestal oak was jumping and running and moving and doing all kinds of things and then finally uh, at the end of the night we can you give it just one last push make it jump off the table and it just jumped off the ground and collapsed and it, it was one of the the most unusual phenomena that I ever had in my life, uh, you know, because I, I tried, we tried uh, another time we went back there, we tried doing it 
on purpose. We tried manipulating it. We couldn't do it at all, but we did get it on film. But uh, that was a unique experience. And it's hard to explain. Those are the things I think that you really are looking for when you're investigating those one things that you can't really explain it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm right there with you. You know, the, the, when we did it at the Oliver House, um, a, a same scenario, you know, that table was kind of moving in ways where you almost think, you know, looking back on it, you would have almost had to have pre-coordinated it with it with all the people that were sitting at the table to kind of get it to move in the rhythm that it was. Um, and so it was really interesting to, to have that. And one thing I found with stuff like that, too, for me, at least, and I kind of loop like a spirit box into the same thing is as much as like the actual activity of the table is interesting. I almost find that it, it's a, it's a way to kind of put you in almost like a trance, almost like in this meditative state, too, where you just kind of become very open to your environment. Um, you know, and, and I like utilizing those things in that way, too, just to kind of take your mind, you know, let your mind just stop wandering, take it off of all the excess and just really be focused in the moment. And uh, it kind of allows you to kind of get into that that state of mind where you're really, really open to any potential that, that's taking place there. Yeah, I, you know, that's a good analogy because I, I really believe that's true. I mean, uh, and also the group you're with uh, can put you into that that same uh, mindset. Uh, I took a class at Circles on spoon bending uh, with Dr. Ang or whatever the heck his name was. But, you know, it's another thing I thought was just a, a trick or whatever. But I went in there open-minded. A group, a good group, side of well, probably about 40 people there, for God's sake. And uh, I did every exercise that they did with the spoon, and and they all they all bent and everything else. So it, and, and I think it was that group of people all thinking and doing the same thing that mm -hmm. helped that you know perform that particular experiment. So I think only one person in the entire class had uh, couldn't have any didn't have any experience otherwise they couldn't bend any spoons at all but uh yeah it's 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 intriguing the the greek energy is is i think important in a lot of this paranormal uh stuff that happens oh definitely i have to definitely agree with you on that like with with investigating with our kids like we definitely feel that like when we've gone when it's just been us to locations but even when we investigate with main paranormal society like it's just the group just kind of brings its own energy and we're mm. kind of like in tuned with each other. We know how we like investigate with each other. And it just, it's just, I, I definitely have to agree with you on that. Like the, the energy that the people bring definitely it's yeah. Yeah. I we actually, it's, that. it's funny. We find that, um, you know, when we're doing our team events, you know, whether it's just us or whether it's with main paranormal society and those team members, you know, some of the the best activity that we get throughout a night is actually when we're when we're not investigating and we're just kind of vibing as a group. You know, when we're we're in between sessions or whatever they might be, and you know, we're we're sitting around a table and we're just having conversations and we're we're being ourselves and we're just letting that kind of natural energy flow. That's when you. That's when I found you really kind of kind of get the the, best the most activity. activity. Whether it's because like maybe spirit thinks you're ignoring them, and they're like, hey, I'm still here look at me, you know, but uh, it's just for whatever reason, that just seems to be when, when, when we catch a lot of things is when you kind of put your guard down a little bit and, and you just allow yourself to be free in that environment. And then, and then Unfortunately, I put my guy down and we'd now run out of time. So, 
Anyways, I want to thank you both for joining me today. It was an interesting talk. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with uh, Richie and Missy from the Paranormal Five. Did I get that right? Please tell me I did. You Absolutely. did. You did. <laughs> right here on TojiNet. We're brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glance, your family law group, 15 High Street, not the end of our Massachusetts, and our good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio Patreon. So tune in next week. Good night and God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.